Welcome to Swarupa Vidya Ashram. My name is Swami Nirmalananda. Each audio is a discourse that I offered at a satsang, a free meditation program, and was followed by meditation. These teachings address the underlying questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I do what I came here to do? I went to my guru with these same questions. While he gave me the teachings I share here, most importantly, he gave me the inner experience they describe. This is why I teach, to share the same with you, both the theory and the inner experience of your own inherent divinity. The bliss of consciousness is your birthright. Meditate and discover that you are greater than you could ever imagine. Om Namah Shivaya Gurave Satchidanandamurtaye Nishpapanchaya Shantaya Niralambaya Tejase Muktanandaya Gurave Shisha Samsara Harane Bhakta Kayaika Dehaya Namaste Chitsaratmane Eta Vejagatameva Samsara Navasetave Prabhave Saiva Vidyanam Shambhave Gurave Namaha Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshvara Guru Sakshat Parabrahma Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Om Svarupa Svasvabhava Namo Namaha Om I bow to my own self. I bow to my Baba's own self. I bow to his Baba's own self. I bow to your own self. Your own self. The one self, the one reality being all selves. Shiva. Again and again I bow. Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namo Namaha. Divine Intoxication. I met a woman who lived in a Tibetan temple. She told me they worshipped me as a goddess every day in ceremonies. One day she went out into the marketplace on her own. She got lost. So she prayed to the goddess for help. The pathway through the marketplace lit up so she could follow the light back to the front door of her temple. They were so happy to see her. They had been worried about her. What an amazing story, yes? But I'm left with a question. If they were worshiping her as the goddess, why did she have to pray to the goddess 
to get help when she was lost. Was she the goddess or not? And was she the goddess only when she was in the temple or when she was in the USA as well? I wondered. I met another extraordinary woman who is worshiped as a goddess. Born in India, since childhood, she has been ecstatic. One of many such women in our modern era. How wonderful. Yet, she spends her days worshiping the goddess. All day, every day. So if she is the goddess, who is she worshiping? Let me see if I can confuse you more. One of her assistants told me this story, that she was frustrated that she couldn't speak English with so many Westerners coming to her. So one day she said out loud in her native language, Ma, when are you going to give me English? The next morning she woke up fluent. Okay, that's pretty amazing. I'm not complaining about the results, but I have questions about the process. If she is the goddess, who did she ask for the gift of a new language? Why did she have to ask anyone? I have met many such great beings, how fortunate I am. I have gotten blessings and teachings from so many. And I have great love and respect for each and all of them, but I still have questions. Are these great beings all they're cracked up to be? I mean, what really is the final goal? What is the ultimate attainment? Is bliss enough? Is that the point? that you become an anandama, a bliss-filled mother, or a God-intoxicated being? That's how my Baba was described during his first teaching tour in America. Journalists said he looked like a stoned-out jazz musician. That's how they described God-intoxication. Ram Das started with a similar approach. After getting kicked out of his tenured professorship at Harvard for using LSD, he decided to simply live on a perpetual high. He got a few friends together for his great experiment. And whenever they started to lose the bliss, they'd take another dose. He describes it in his well-known book, Be Here Now. They finally figured out that their bodies weren't up to it. They couldn't sustain the bliss. And when they stopped taking the drug, they lost the bliss. That's why Ramdas went to India, looking for a guru who lived in that perpetual state. I didn't even have to go to India. My papa came to me right here in America. I got to live and study with him for years in America. What extraordinary karma I must have had. It makes me think of one of my favorite songs, 
nothing comes from nothing nothing ever could so somewhere in my youth or childhood i must have done something good good enough to land me in baba's lap i am forever grateful but who was baba he didn't claim to be God incarnate. Instead, he said that we all are. He wasn't merely God intoxicated. He was established in his own divine essence, blissfully living his life while teaching and cooking, while driving and gardening, while directing thousands of us in our own internal processes. And all he ever said was, Look within to find God. See who you really are. He wrote about his final attainment in his spiritual autobiography, Play of Consciousness. About the final meditation of his process, he described, I looked around everywhere and saw in all men and women, young and old, high and low, in each and every one, that same blue pearl that I had seen in myself. I saw that this was the inner self within everyone's sahasra. And with this full realization, my meditation stopped. And I returned to normal body consciousness. I still meditate now, he said, but I have a deep certainty that there is nothing more for me to see. When I meditate, the certainty that I have attained full realization fills me completely. Certainty. The inner certainty is the only thing that counts. You've had this experience, whether you've ever meditated or not, there's been some point along the way where you stop, where you shifted gears inside. The classic peak experience, maybe on the top of a mountain, maybe on drugs, maybe in meditation, maybe when you were doing something for someone else. And suddenly you knew with an inner certainty, an undeniable inner knowing of your own self. Yes, I am here. Yes, I am. I am. I am. Yoga and meditation are about prompting this experience again and again. We chant, we study the teachings, we hear how the masters lived and how they got to their state. We chant again. We do poses and breathing practices. We give donations and do seva, offering our time and energy to support the teacher and the ashram. We meditate. We experience the self again 
and again and again. Until again turns into always. Until you live in that deep certainty that Baba describes. That is the point. That you know your own self in all places, in all times, in all circumstances, in all ways, in all dimensions, in an inner knowing without thought. A deep inner certainty that I am I. Om Namah Shivaya. What Baba described is being the self, not experiencing the self. When you have an experience of the self or an experience of any kind, the experience begins, it lasts for a while, and then it ends. Then you go back to normal, whatever normal is for you. The God-intoxicated beings are having an experience of God or goddess. And if they have to pray for help with something later, then while they are experiencing something great, it's not who they are. For who you are doesn't go away. It doesn't end. They're experiencing something that is other. And they have that experience for a time. And then they don't. What do you want? Bliss that comes and goes. Or the constant knowing of the bliss of your own beingness. The point is that normal changes. Your new normal is the bliss of consciousness. That's what Baba is describing. This is the gift he gave me and all of us access to the inner knowing of your own self as consciousness itself. I have spent many delicious hours reading the biographies of great yogis and saints. It's amazing to find how many different ways there are to get enlightened. One of my favorite stories is of Sharada Devi. She was the wife of Sri Ramakrishna, a famous Bengali mystic in the late 1800s. She was married to him when she was five, but didn't come to live with him until she was 18. By then, he was a confirmed celibate, living a Swami lifestyle, so their marriage was never consummated. Instead, he worshipped her. As he was the head Brahmin priest of a big Kali temple, he knew all the rituals. He sat her on a table and chanted the chants, offered the rice and flowers, and waved the candle flames to invoke the goddess's presence in her. I did these ceremonies once in a temple in India with a seven-year-old girl 
sitting in as the goddess. She was clearly propelled into a great state as I did these traditional ceremonies. They are much more elaborate than the simple candle flame ceremony that we'll do just before meditation, but it's basically the same. So Sharda Devi experienced the goddess, not like she was sitting at the feet of a statue of Durga or Lakshmi and having an experience of the goddess in front of her. She experienced being the goddess again and again, because Ramakrishna did this with her night after night. This is the secret of the tantric rituals that fascinate everyone. The sexual practices of Tantra begin with the man worshiping the woman as the goddess. And once the goddess arises within here, they're both already and fully ecstatic. Nothing else is needed. The texts are very clear on this. Ramakrishna worshiped Sharda Devi. She became so firmly established in that divine essence that she became the guru of his followers after he died. In the late 1800s, when women in India still lived in Buddha, never coming out in daylight, his swamis asked her to be their guru. Amazing, isn't it? Yet, not really. For the divine is already within you. Your own essence and beingness is the one divine reality, being you. You are already God. You're just paying attention to other things most of the time, as though they were so much more important than knowing and being your own self. I have attended many of these ceremonies for great beings where their divinity is invoked, so it shows. I was so familiar with the process and the feeling that when I went to the ancient temples in Luxor, Egypt, I recognized immediately that they had been doing these same ceremonies to the pharaohs. The energetic imprint is still there. It's all documented, interestingly, by a Chinese tourist in pre-Christian times. He'd spent time in India. Then he went to Egypt. He noticed that the priests were making some errors in their ceremonies, so he coached them on how to do it right. That's why the pharaohs were called God Kings because the priests did ceremonies to bring forth their inherent divinity so they shone with divine light. They ruled with divine light, leading the kingdom with their divine wisdom. What if we had a president who was an enlightened being? So, to get to that state yourself, all you need is to have someone worship you, right? You just need someone who's been trained in these ancient traditions and knows how to invoke your divinity to arise within you. 
and you get them to do it for you. Like Ramakrishna did with Sharda Devi again and again and again and again until again turns into always. Well, you might not be able to manage this to get someone to worship you. Other than me, that is, for I delight in bowing to your inherent divinity again and again. Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namo Namaha. So what are you to do? Well, I'll tell you to worship your own self, to bow to your own self, to use an ancient and enlivened mantra to invoke your inherent divinity to arise within you. Om Namah Shivaya. As my Baba said, know your own self, honor your own self, bow to your own self. Worship your own self. That which you call God is found within you as you. It's so simple. You repeat this mantra and you experience bliss. It might take five minutes. It might take 10. It's as reliable as if you drop a cough drop it will fall to the ground. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. I bow to my own self. I worship my own divine essence and beingness. I honor my own self. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Some of you have heard me say this before. You even know it works, but you don't do it. Why don't you do it? I don't know. Maybe it's because you prefer your familiar pain to the divine bliss of your own beingness. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? I don't know. Maybe it's because you think that if others see you in pain, they'll feel sorry for you, or they'll take care of you, or they'll be nice to you. Here's how it works. When other people worship you, you attain a great state, and then you lose it. Like the woman who lived in the Tibetan temple, they worshiped her as the goddess, but she had to pray to the goddess to get help with simple things. When others worship you, your state is dependent on them worshiping you. And if they're not in a good mood, or if they aren't devoting all their time and energy to improving your mood, you're up the crick without a paddle. When you could simply repeat mantra five minutes, why don't you do it? I don't know. Maybe it's because you forget that bliss is an option. You get so lost in your pain 
that you forget that there's anything else. The sutras say you become your pain. I am my pain. I am my pain. I am my pain. Really? When bliss is five minutes away, no drugs needed, no candle flames needed, no flowers or special ceremonies. You don't need anyone else to do anything for you. You don't even have to do any poses or breathing practices. Just repeat mantra. Anyone who chooses pain over bliss really does have a problem. Can I be frank? I could call it stupidity. And that's a problem I can't help you with. Pain or bliss. You're always in this choice point. You get to make this choice at any time. It's accessible to you in every moment. You can choose pain or bliss. What do you want to feel? How do you want to live? I'll use a metaphor. Let's say you pull out your phone and you ask for directions home. You know that you're only eight or 10 miles away, but your GPS tells you it's going to take three and a half hours. What? And then you see it's set on walking. So you change it to driving. And now you're only 10 minutes away. The mantra is your car. I call it the mantra mobile. You get in and you drive it to your destination. It carries you to your own self. It's a magical car. It only ever takes you to one destination, your own self. And when you arrive at self, you know who you are. You rest in the inner certainty of your own being. And you still have a life but you see it completely differently. Like Baba said, I looked around everywhere and saw in all men and women, young and old, high and low, in each and every one, the same blue pearl I had seen in myself. I saw that this was the inner self within everyone's sahasra. And with this full realization, my meditation stopped. And I returned to normal body consciousness. I still meditate now. But I have a deep certainty that there is nothing more for me to see. When I meditate, the certainty that I have attained full realization fills me completely. The final state is that you don't merely see Shiva, you be Shiva. You don't merely experience the bliss of consciousness. You are the consciousness that is always emanating bliss. And you see that everyone is consciousness as well. How do you want to live? You have the key. It's resting in the palm of your hand. Actually, no, 
It's not in the palm of your hand. It's resting on your tongue. It's always there. All you have to do is use it. Even just whisper it. I bow to my own beingness. I bow to that divine reality that I already and always am. I am. I am. I am I. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namah.